All throughout the book of Hebrews, we have seen the decided action of our loving Heavenly Father in bringing His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us, to the earth, to fulfill all. Well, coming up, as we continue in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll take a look at the child training of our loving Father. Next, on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and so glad that you have taken the time to listen and to learn together from the Word of God. And my heart's prayer is that each of us will be drawn in a deeper relationship with our loving Father. And you know, He is our Father, all because of what His Son, Jesus, did for us. It says over in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. Well, today we're in part 44 of our Hebrew study. We're in Hebrews chapter 12 once again, taking a look at what many Bibles might refer to as the discipline of God. Really, the better look at this thing is considering it to be the child training of our God. Last time we were looking at uh, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3 through 6, and we spent a considerable amount of time dealing with misconceptions that people often have when they're looking at these verses. You know, too often Christians come up with incorrect doctrine when they take verses in Hebrews, or really anywhere, in the Bible out of context. Someone once said that a text without context is pretext. Well said. Remember that Hebrews is addressed to Jewish Christians and they were suffering terribly for their faith. Some Christians unfortunately misuse these verses to prove text the notion that God is sending bad things into our life, things like cancer, tragic accidents, financial loss, etc., to teach us a lesson and make us more Christ-like. Well, that is incorrect, and uh, the reasons that we explored, number one, uh, it completely disregards all of Hebrews. Reason number two, it completely ignores what these verses in Hebrews chapter 12 are really talking about, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Reason number three, the translation of verse six, which is translated, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And that the Hebrew word for inquire into that we find in, remember there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it's a quotation of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, which does not use the word scourge. There's a mistranslated word into the Greek language for scourge. And scourge means to plague, whip, or scourge. Yet remember, again, the context of Hebrews. Jesus took all the scourging we deserved for our healing. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Here's what that verse says. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That's in Isaiah 53, verse 5. How could it be that we would get any form of scourging if Jesus took it? For us to say that we're being punished by God, we're getting scourging, diminishes 
the full, completed, sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ in taking that all for us, from us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11 absolutely does not mean that God is punishing us. Jesus took all of our punishments. That's what Hebrews and the New Covenant are all about. But as children of God, we have need for correction. And we talked about this toward the end of the podcast yesterday. Again, to get into the details of those uh, misunderstandings and the reasons why they are wrong biblically, be sure to tune in or listen to the previous lesson in our series. So what are we talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 12? It is referring to the child training of our loving heavenly Father. Let's read through these verses again. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. And before we do that, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a revealing, speaking God. And this speaks of your heart of love. And Father, we ask that you would once again grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the full knowledge of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for enlightening our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today, revealing to us in deeper measure yourself, your heart, and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For consider him, speaking of Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And again, there's that word scourges, a mistranslation, really means disciplines every son whom he receives. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For indeed, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now chastening seems, no chastening rather, seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And again, that's in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Now, the word chastening comes up four times in these verses. And the Greek word for chastening is paideia, which literally means child training. According to the AMG Complete Word Study, uh, speaking of this particular word in its context here in Hebrews chapter 12, it originally meant to bring up a child, to educate. It's used of activity directed toward the moral and spiritual nurture and training of the child to influence conscious will and action. Child 
training. Anybody who's been a parent understands that you do more than just simply tell your child. There is a process of training. One of the things we train them to do is how to act politely or responsibly. That child might have in their sort of instinct to want to grab for the cookies first instead of waiting and allowing others to go first. Or maybe they have two cookies and they can share that extra cookie. Those are things that are uh, involved with training. And from the child's perspective, it's not fun. It can be a bit painful. But there is something good that happens in this process of training up a child. Now, child training for what? As it applies here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Well, remember First of all, that God is not angry with you or me. He is not punishing us. Jesus took all the punishments. Also remember, please, that Hebrews chapter 12 comes after, and this should be obvious, right? Hebrews chapter 11. And what is that chapter all about? Well, the just shall live by faith. Now, given the context of the perfection of Jesus and his finished work, And that the just shall live by faith, what remains for us is to learn to walk by faith. Remember, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And so, therefore, child training is God, our Father, training us, his child, to walk by faith. Faith. Let me say that again. This child training in the context of what we see here in Hebrews chapter 12 is primarily God the Father training us as child to walk by faith. And I don't know about you, but I have not learned that all in one lesson. It, it takes time. And oftentimes, my faith uh, in walking by faith, I grow the most, it seems, during challenging situations. Remember that faith is necessary when we encounter things that run beyond our five senses, beyond our ability, beyond our understanding. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, really keys into this theme that keeps coming up over and over again in Hebrews chapter 11, the so-called faith chapter. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith operates in a realm beyond our five senses, beyond our ability, and beyond our understanding. To what? It looks beyond us to God, to God's omniscience, his all-knowing, to God's omnipotence, his all-powerful ability, and to God's wisdom. Here's the bottom line about faith. Faith is depends on God, not upon me. Faith depends upon God. It does not depend upon me. Now, at this point, I need to blow up a common Christian myth that really, if you believe this, it's going to get in the way to understanding the nature of faith. And remember, I said that that faith looks beyond our five senses, looks beyond our ability, and it looks beyond our understanding to God's omniscience, God's omnipotence, and God's wisdom. And here's the myth. 
And maybe you've heard it said, and maybe you've said it yourself, that God will never give us more than we can handle. (laughs) Folks, that is wrong. And not only is it wrong, it's patently unbiblical, and it's dangerous. Again, the myth, God will never give us more than we can handle. That is not true. It is not supported by a shred of biblical evidence. And you're going to find out why and find out why that thought is so harmful to your Christian life. First of all, never say never. If we can find even one instance in the Bible where someone encountered a situation that they couldn't handle, then we know that the statement that God will never give us more than we can handle is indeed not true. It's a myth, and it's a dangerous one at that. Well, remember, we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, and we can find lots of cases that blow up the idea that God will never give us more than we can handle. Verse 33, it said, Who stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, etc. Now, I think you would agree that all of those things are way beyond anyone's ability to handle, right? Let me just take one case. How about the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They escaped the fire. Remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was so angry with them that he wanted them incinerated. He had the furnace fired up seven times hotter. And and I would estimate that probably that would have been around 3,500 degrees. Folks, that's hot enough to melt steel. In fact, that fire was so hot that their captors who threw them into the furnace were themselves incinerated. Could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego handle a 3,500 degree degree Fahrenheit degree temperature? Well, of course not. Nobody can and live to tell about it. Not only did they survive, there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothing. Could they handle it? Of course not. Could God handle it? Yes, he could, and he did. So, boom, there's one instance among many instances that we can see that the statement that God will never give us more than we can handle is not true. In fact, folks, it's carnality, not Christianity. Carnality is living by your own abilities, looking to your own ability, your own understanding, your own five senses. That is not biblical Christianity. Well, someone might say, no, wait a minute, Mark. Doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man? But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also... Now, you notice what it says, Mark. It says, uh, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Well, first of all, and thank you for bringing up this verse, what is right in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? God. It says that God is faithful. And then it says, but with the temptation... God will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear up with it. So how are we able to bear up with the temptation, to bear it? 
Number one, God's faithfulness. Number two, God's ability to make the way of escape. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is grounded on God's faithfulness and God's ability, not your faithfulness and your ability. And folks, even if 1 Corinthians 10.13 had something to do about your ability, you do not create a whole theology based on only one verse. So what's the point here? Why are we blowing up this myth that God will never give you more than you can handle? We need to learn to be trained to walk by faith, not by sight. And this happens in the arena of circumstances that God allows to come our way that are beyond our ability to handle. They're beyond our ability to understand. They're beyond even our five senses and what they perceive. That's really important to understand. Here is a verse that really gets into this whole business, not only of blowing up that myth that God will never give us more than we can handle, but also keys in and what God's agenda is that we're seeing here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, and the context is the Apostle Paul had left a nasty situation in Corinth where they were a divided, carnal, messed up group that were constantly critical of him, saying, Paul, you're not as good as this one, you're not as good as that one, so on and so forth. He went from that situation to being called by the Spirit into Macedonia, where he faced not criticism, but was under the constant threat of death. People in Macedonia were trying to kill him. In other words, Paul went from the proverbial frying pan into the fire. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, and I like it in the NIV. It says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Did you catch it? They were under hardships and pressure, great pressure, that was far beyond their ability to endure. So this business that God will never give you more than you can handle is garbage. You see, God frequently and regularly gives us things way beyond our ability to handle. Why? Because if we could handle them, then we wouldn't need God. Look what he says right there in the verse. And I'm continuing to read into verse 9 in the NIV. It says this. Um, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Now listen to this. But this happened that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Did you hear it? This happened being in situations under great pressure, far beyond their ability to endure, so that uh, they would not rely upon themselves, but upon God who raises the dead. That's the key right there. That's the, the training, the child training that God the Father is doing. He's training us so that we don't rely upon ourselves. We're not walking by the flesh. 
We're relying upon him, which is uh, walking by the Spirit. This is the path of the victorious life. God the Father would not be a loving Heavenly Father if he didn't train us to do this. And folks, remember, it's training. I don't know about you, but for me, it takes over and over and over again. You see, here's the truth that's the exact opposite of this myth that God will never give you more than you can handle. Here it is. Here's the truth. God will never give us more than he can handle if we depend upon him. Let me say that again. God will never give us more than he can handle if we depend upon him. That's the key. You know, I have uh, shared this blowing up the myth of God will never give us more than we can handle with people that are going through horrible trials. And when I tell them this, they invariably will start to cry or I'll see tears well up in their eyes and they will thank me profusely. They will say, thank you. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought it wasn't pleasing God because, Mark, I can't handle this. Well, the truth is, it really doesn't take too much to get any of us into a situation that we cannot handle. God isn't picking on us. God is training his children because he loves us. And yes, it can be painful at times. Because the better way is the just shall live by faith. Remember Hebrews 11:6, for without faith it is impossible to please him, for those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you want a life that pleases God? Well, sure you do, child of God. Do you want a life that's the overcoming life? Well, of course you do. That happens by walking by faith, not relying upon yourself, but relying upon God. You see, this child training is actually the trying of our faith. And this flows very naturally out of the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. You see, there were people that were listed there who faced extreme adversity. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong. Uh, They were valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. All of these situations are adversities. Lions, fire, the edge of sword, weakness, battle, armies of the aliens. They're all trials and even extreme difficulties. Yet God, in response to their faith, gave them the victory. There is a very important parallel passage on this subject over in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. And I want you to go over to James chapter 1, and uh, let's have a look, beginning in verse 2. And I'm going to flip myself back to the New King James Version, which I customarily use. Here's what these verses say. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you, well, I'm going to move on to these other verses. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will 
be given him. Now, we're really focusing on two through four. Again, James, like the writer of Hebrews, was addressing Jews, Jewish Christians, that were facing severe persecution, murder, and being forcibly dispersed. Now, in that context, he says in verse 2, James 1, 2, count it all joy. You know, that all joy in the Greek literally means total joy. Nothing in it is not joyful. Now, that begs the question, count what joy? When you fall into various trials, and the idea here is trials and temptations, James 1-2 says this in the Amplified, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to scratch my head and say, huh? How in the world can you consider such things to be total joy, complete joy? Why in the world would we consider it all joy whenever we are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations? Look at what it says there in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith, there's something we need to know about this situation. And here's what it is we need to know. The testing of your faith. Now, the testing of your faith is not something that God needs to do to sort of grade your level of faith, pass or fail. He's not like a teacher who's giving a student a grade to figure out where the student's ability is. No. This testing is not for God's benefit. God knows the faith that we have. You know what kind of faith it is? It's his gift of faith. And I want you to remember what it says there in um, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And we need to flip back to this for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2, where it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the author of your faith, the perfecter of your faith, is not you. You are not the originator of your faith. You're not the one that makes it perfect. Jesus Christ is the one who makes it perfect. He's the one that makes the big difference. The gift of faith that every single believer receives right at the moment of being born again. That's why you're called a believer. It's not because you believe. It's because you are one who believes. God made you that way. He gave you the gift of faith. Now, you might be saying, oh, I'm not sure I'm impressed with that gift. But you know what? This testing of the faith is not for God's benefit, but for us to get a better understanding of the immense blessing that God's gift of faith is. Remember, it is a gift of faith. Ephesians 2 eight says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the gift of God is our faith. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Remember that all that is good has ultimately come from God, not 
from you. So this testing of our faith, as it says here in James chapter 1, is for our benefits. Why? So that we understand that no matter the trial or the temptation that we have, and always will have in this life, the gift of the God kind of faith is what we have. It's not my faith. It's not my puny ability. Even the faith to trust in God is from God himself. And the God kind of faith is as powerful and effective as God himself. And then the second part of verse 3 says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The Greek word for patience means to persevere, to remain under It's a bearing up under, it's a patience, an endurance as to things and circumstances. And it's associated with hope and refers to the quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under the trial. That's what the testing of this God kind of faith does. It produces that kind of perseverance, that kind of patience. Now, We've, I want you to connect the dots that we have put up so far, um, dealing with the true meaning of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 11, and also what we're seeing here in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, when it says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Here's the dots. Number one, the testing of our faith. It's the God kind of faith that means all his almighty ability. The second dot, it produces a patience that allows us to bear up under trials and temptations. And the third dot is this is almighty God's ability working through our God kind of faith given to us from God, even in the worst of trials and temptations, so that we live and walk victoriously. And that's an incredibly great outcome. Remember what it says over in Romans chapter 8. It says, um, for in, beginning in verse 36, Uh, We are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37 says this, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the key. That idea, through him, tells us how it happens. It doesn't happen through you, through your understanding, through your senses, through your ability. No, it happens through Christ. And we're not just winners. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Wow, that is, that's an awesome outcome. You know, I just want to stop for a moment. Most of us love to watch a movie or maybe read a novel where we see the um, protagonist, you know, the main character, the good guy, who's facing up against the odds, right? Facing up against adversity, facing up against uh, trials and difficulties. We actually want to be entertained by such things. Why? Because we want to see how the protagonist is able to get through the situation. There's something in our human our humanness that longs for victory. It isn't necessarily looking for an escape from the difficulty, 
but victory in and through the difficulty. And our God has indeed promised that we would be more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. Well, back in James chapter 1 is a parallel to what we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 12. You see, it doesn't stop there. There's more. In verse 4, it says this, but let patience. Now, remember, that's the ability to stand up under difficult trials and temptations. Let patience have its perfect work. The second part of verse 4 says this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here's the Amplified in verse 4. does such a great job of capturing the Greek uh, original language. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. Those of you who are parents, think about your child, and maybe your child's grown up and out of the house, but think of those days when they were there with you, or perhaps you are a parent raising young ones that are still under your roof. More than anything, you want your children to be perfect and complete. I don't mean perfect in behavior, but this word perfect that comes out in all throughout Hebrews is the Greek word teleo, which means complete lacking nothing. How many of you want to raise up children when they go into the world? They can stand on their own two feet. Really, can we say that better? They can stand upon the Lord. They can, by faith, walk. More than anything, we want them to be in that situation. We don't want our kids going out in the world and failing. We want them succeeding, don't we? And not just succeeding in terms of career or so forth. We want them to succeed in life, in their marriage relationship, in their family relationships. We want them to enjoy a good life. But we realize that uh, they're going to have to walk it through. And the just shall live by faith. That happens by walking by faith. Boy, these are really good points of clarification that we're finding over in Hebrews 12 and James chapter 1. There's similar verses that are over in 1 Peter. And again, Peter's ministry, like James, was primarily to the Jewish Christians and reaching the unsaved Jew. And they were, the uh, Jewish Christians were facing horrible persecution. You may recall that even Peter himself ended up being crucified. Uh, The record of the church says that... uh, He was crucified upside down. Even he faced severe trial. But he says this, and he's speaking of this incredible uh, blessing and inheritance that we have received from God. Um, Again, that flows so well out of Hebrews chapters 1 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by, listen to this, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you see that? Did you catch it? We are kept, we're preserved, we're able to walk, we're able to move through victoriously by the power of God through faith. 
Now look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom Having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And again, that's in First Peter chapter 1, um, verses uh, 3 through um, 9, verse 10. I want to really key in on what, Peter, inspired of the Holy Spirit, brings out in verse 6 when he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And here's the reason why. That the genuineness of your faith, stop there, we just established that even our faith is not from ourselves. It is God's gift of faith. And the dimensions of this God kind of faith are as great as God himself. The genuineness of your faith. There's a proving through the fire that happens. It's not proving to God. God knows the gift of faith that he's given to us, but until it's put into action, we don't see the greatness of this wonderful gift of faith that we have received. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, that faith, the God kind of faith, is that which really honors God. It gives him praise. It gives him glory. So another parallel passage to take into consideration as we look at these verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, the clock is getting away from us, and we're going to need to wrap up today's lesson, but I want to underscore again the point that what Hebrews chapter 12 is talking about, there's four times that the word chastening comes up, and that's the Greek word that means child training. What kind of training is it that God the Father needs to do, needs to carry out? That training is the training of our faith, training us not to rely upon ourselves as Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 verse 9 but to rely upon God who even raises the dead he said those circumstances that were way beyond his ability to handle happened so that he would not rely upon himself but upon God who raises the dead Let me go through these verses in Hebrews chapter 12 one more time, beginning in verse 3. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening, and that Greek word again is child training of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he child trains. And, correct translation, he inquires into every son whom he receives. If you endure child training, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not 
child trained. But if you are without child training, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers that corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, child-trained us, as seemed best to them, but but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no child-training seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want to just add one more note here that's, that's key, and that's the idea of the painful at times, painfulness, painfulness of this child training from time to time. You know, some parents can make the mistake of trying to always be their child's friend. But sometimes you need to take a stand as a, as a parent for what's right. You know, your child may want to stay up till 11 o'clock watching movies or playing on his video games, but they got to get up at 6 in the morning for school. And it may not be fun. It may be painful. And if you're always trying to be the friend and not the parent, then you may not do what's right and inconvenient and, frankly, painful. You may have a whiny kid that goes, oh, do I have to go to bed now? Yes, you do have to go to bed. Well, if we as earthly parents understand that that's good parenting, how much more our heavenly father. Remember the training, and oftentimes it's our trying of our faith through adversity. Remember what James said, count it all joy. Why? Because this produces an amazing outcome. It produces a people who are dependent upon God, relying upon God and not themselves. And through this faith in Christ, we enjoy being more than conquerors through him who loved us. The outcome of the child training of God is awesome. We learn more and more, better and better, to walk by faith, to walk by the Spirit, and to walk victoriously in a life that really, truly honors Him, in a life that's not caught up with sin and self, in a life that is involved and engaged and productive in God's kingdom work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. And and Lord, there are times in which what we go through in life can be painful. But, Lord, you didn't mean for us to be victims. But, Father, you mean for us to be victors. You love us so much, Lord, that you train us. And you train us through adversity that we would not rely upon ourselves, but upon you, the God who can do all things, even raise the dead. We thank you, Lord, that we are your children. Thank you for this process daily that we face, whether it would be a small difficulty, or a great challenge in adversity. Thank you, Lord. You do not leave us. You do not forsake us. You are a loving heavenly Father who is always with us, who is the source of our righteousness, the source of our holiness, the source of our goodness, the source of our victory. Continue, Lord, just to reveal yourself and your heart and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.